From WHQR Public Media, this is The Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for joining us. On today's special episode, an in-depth conversation with Dane Scalise, who was recently appointed to the New Hanover County Board of Commissioners. Now, since Scalise was nominated by the New Hanover County Republican Party and appointed by the Board of Commissioners, we didn't have our usual opportunity to interview him as a candidate to get to know both his general philosophy on governance and his thoughts on specific policies. So we invited him to come to the WHQR studios in downtown Wilmington. We ended up having a wide-ranging conversation covering a number of issues facing New Hanover County, and while we're going to air excerpts of this interview elsewhere, we wanted to present the entire conversation so listeners who don't know Scalise or who don't know him well can get a better sense of how he'll approach his new role. All right, Commissioner Dane Scalise, thanks for being with us. Before we get into politics or policy, I want to start with, I suppose, a a moment of respect, because your appointment comes as a result of the tragic death of Commissioner Deb Hayes, who you knew well, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to say something about her. Ben, thank you first and foremost for having me on. I'm so glad to be able to speak to you and your audience. What better and more appropriate way to start than talking about my friend Deb Hayes? Deb and I developed a a pretty deep friendship over the years, primarily through our mutual passion for volunteering in the community and particularly volunteering in downtown Wilmington. We both served for any number of years together on Wilmington Downtown Incorporated's board and its executive committee. From 2019 to 2021, I served as chair of the organization, Deb was vice chair, and then she immediately after my term ended became chair. We, um, we both believe that the community is best served whenever there are people who are willing to step up and donate their time, donate their talents to the betterment of the public and our nonprofits are a very good way for many folks in the community to go about doing that. We both saw WDI and other nonprofits as an excellent vehicle for achieving just that. The natural next step for Deb certainly was her running for office, and she ran a couple of times, ran for city council, and was eventually successful in her campaign for county commissioner. Right from the very beginning, she was successful, and she was successful because she worked really hard. She was everywhere, but it's not just that. She listened to people. If you knew Deb, you knew that you could reach out to Deb. She would get back to you immediately, sometimes late at night, sometimes early in the morning. That's how she was with everybody, though, not just me. If you were a member of this community, Deb extended that same courtesy to you. So... Whenever the sad news came around to me the morning after she had died, I was in shock. I was in shock because I was just with her a couple of days beforehand. We were texting one another, I think, until about midnight that last time that we spoke. And her last words to me were, if I remember correctly, I will always be there for you. It's a pretty heavy thing to have to carry forward. I um, I don't know how I'm going to be able to fill Deb's shoes. People have asked me about that. I can't. Let me just go ahead and say that. I won't be able to fill her shoes. She was her own person with her own talents, her own abilities, her own passions. But again, she worked hard and she cared deeply about being a public servant. And I'm going to do everything that I can in finding myself unexpectedly in this position to work hard and dedicate my time and talent to the public in her memory. I think that's, that's very well said. Um, you're in the chair now, so let's use this as a way to introduce you to people who don't know you well. The first question I wanted to ask is, you were nominated by the New Hanover County GOP, but you didn't have the opportunity to go through, for better or worse, the you know the the campaign process where people get to know what kind of Republican you are, what kind of conservative you are. So, I wanted to ask, you know, how do you see your philosophy as a conservative? Well, first and foremost, 
while I am a Republican and I am a conservative, I'm also a person that is made up of all the things that have happened to me and I have done over the years. So if you will forgive me, I'd like to begin at the beginning, give you a, a brief biographical sketch about Dane Scalise. I am originally from Morganton, North Carolina. It's the western part of North Carolina in the foothills, right on Interstate 40. I lived there until I was 18 years old, and then I went off to college at UNC Greensboro. Studied there for four years. I was uh, an English literature and history major. After four years, I went a little bit further down Interstate 40 to Chapel Hill for law school, and I practiced law in the area for two years after finishing law school. And then in 2012, I had a job opportunity with a law firm here in Wilmington, and I moved to Wilmington with my wife. We um, have two children, two sons, age seven and four. I have, over the years, in terms of my professional life, been a lawyer with a firm, a lawyer who has run his own firm. That's what I do right now and what I did prior to 2016 whenever I was appointed to be Deputy Commissioner of the North Carolina Industrial Commission. That's a judge who is a statewide judge that presides over workers' compensation and state tort claim act matters. Workers' compensation, obviously, is if somebody is injured on the job and there's a dispute as to whether or not that injury is compensable, parties, a plaintiff, a defendant, would come before a court here in New Hanover, in Fayetteville, in Elizabethtown, and I would hear the case, and I would apply the facts to the law and try to do the fairest thing possible. Additionally, there is a matter or a, uh, an act called the State Tort Claim Act that the Industrial Commission has jurisdiction over. That's essentially whenever folks claim that the state is negligent in some regard. Say, for instance, uh, the state-maintained road was not, um, uh, not maintained properly and you went over it and your car sustained damage. Where do you go and sue? Well, because the, the state actually has this concept of sovereign immunity, it has to make itself available to be sued. And it has chosen to do this in the context of the Industrial Commission. So I heard cases like that one, but I also heard cases that would pertain to prisoners in central prison or other prisons throughout our state that would uh, allege that their materials were thrown away in um, uh, uh, so in defiance of the law, or for instance, even a fellow who uh, was attacked in a, um, a gang-related stabbing, and he alleged that the state did not do the right thing by protecting him whenever they knew that they should have protected him. So there were some really hard calls that were made in connection with this, and uh, gave me an important perspective because, Ben, my approach to being a judicial officer is going to be pretty similar to my approach to being a county commissioner. Having an open mind, never prejudging a situation until you hear the facts, all of the facts from all sides is a really important approach that I'm going to bring to this new position that I'm in. And to sort of button up this biographical sketch, in 2020, after I had served as, four, uh, as deputy commissioner for four years, I decided it was time for me to return to the private sector. The, the term was actually a six-year term, but I, um, I missed private practice. I missed advocacy. And whenever I served as a judge, you're bound by the code of judicial ethics and you, you can't do a whole lot else other than be a judge. So I was welcoming the opportunity to come back into the private sector and uh, I reopened my firm in March 2020, kind of a crazy time to do it. That's whenever, obviously, we know COVID started kicking off. But I weathered the storm like a lot of folks. And ultimately, to go to your original question uh, about what kind of conservative kind of Republican I am. Well, I'm a, I'm a guy who's a small business owner. I'm a father. I'm a, a husband. I'm a person who has served in state government. I'm a person who understands and respects that while I have my perspective, not everybody has the same perspective as me. So it's important for me to bring to bear on this position my perspective as I've learned it, but also to keep, again, that open mind because I don't know everything. I know what I know, but I want the public to help me understand what they know, and we're going to reach better decisions as a consequence of that. So that's the kind of Republican, that's the kind of conservative that I am. Fair enough. So let's get into some of the issues that New Hanover County is, is facing. The first one I want to kick off with is economic development. 
And this covers a lot of ground. It does. And we could probably do an entire show about this. But some of the things we've looked at have been, you know, the business park the county is working on, uh, public-private partnerships. Yep. So you can be as granular as you want, but I'm, I'm curious in general how you think about the county's role in economic development. Well, first and foremost, the county's role in economic development is to be efficient in the performance of its governmental duties. The public needs us to operate at the speed of business, and I can tell you that that's something that in uh, my experience prior to this position, and I'm happy to report my experience over the last several weeks, something that the county takes very seriously. Chris Coudre, in my estimation, is a very good county manager who recognizes that the public expects government to perform efficiently. And that's something that you can see from a top-down approach has been adopted by everyone within county government. Additionally, I do believe in fiscal responsibility, Ben. I think that it is critical for small businesses, for teachers, for fire women and men, police women and men, our deputy sheriffs, anyone who's employed or not employed in our community uh, ultimately is made better by the county being wise and judicious about the amount of taxes that it collects from the public and how it spends that money. So at a, a high level, I think that you've got to you got to set a good standard for that in order for there to be a, a, an effect that's more broad and widespread across the community in terms of economic development. You can help set a standard for that. And by extension, you can stifle that by being onerous in your approach to taxation, your approach to spending, your inefficiencies. And again, I don't think we have that in New Hanover County, but it's important to me that we don't. Whenever we drill down on some of the specifics, though, uh, I generally believe that one of the things that government can and should do is to support infrastructure that helps private industry to do what it does best, which is to create jobs, and create revenue for the people that are associated with those businesses, and more broadly, the public, because that revenue is taxed, right? So as a for instance, I am very excited about the Blue Clay Business Park that you've alluded to. We have uh, 120 acres there. We have uh, already sold three parcels to businesses for expansion and relocation to New Hanover. And we have committed just this last week on Monday, on May 1st, to an infrastructure investment uh, in that area, water, sewer roads, so that we can make that project viable. And ultimately, that to me is a good spend of the public's dollars because it will, it will allow us to, again, create those jobs, create more opportunities for folks. That's what people need in our community. We also have another uh, prospective uh, business park, the Holly Shelter Road Business Park. That's 300 acres. The design is intended to be complete this year, 2023, and uh, we're looking for this business park to be similar to the Blue Clay Business Park in um, uh, its design, water, sewer, et cetera. So I, I like these projects. To me, they're very important. We um, we also have, uh, whenever you talk about uh, public-private par partnerships, one that we just did a ribbon cutting on not too long ago, the Government Center, right? We, uh, we built a, a very purpose-built facility that houses under one roof almost all of our county employees that can be in an office. That's um, a customer-focused facility that, again, wants to uh, help achieve that notion that I talked about before, doing uh, county government business at the speed of business. It's easy for folks to get to. It's easy for folks to interface with. Um, and as part of that project, the old facility that we used to use as the, the county government offices will be torn down. There's going to be green space that's going to be associated with that. And then we're going to have commercial residential development that's going to happen in that area. And I think that that's wonderful. It's going to create uh, new tax revenue. It's going to create new places for businesses to be, new places for people to live. So those uh, notions of uh, public-private partnership, if there is an ROI, a return on investment, to me are very good. I don't believe in pu public-private partnerships if they don't give the public something good and meaningful in return. If it's merely intended to enrich one person or a couple of people at the uh, detriment of the public's investment, 
I'm not in favor of that. But if there is something that we can invest in that's going to return for everybody, then I love it. And a great example of that is Project Grace. I have been an, a proponent of Project Grace for five years, uh, maybe more. However long it's been since Project Grace was originally conceived, I have since yeah 2017. I have been in favor of it, and I think that it is just a wonderful notion to create a state-of-the-art cultural hub in downtown Wilmington, uh, to relocate our museum, to have our uh, library in an upfitted location, and I um, I know that there are some challenges, uh, some folks uh, that would rather that not happen, uh, and that includes uh, uh, maybe some people that are in the downtown area. Maybe previously it was the uh, local government commission that um, seemed to be in opposition to the project, but I think we're refining it, we're reworking it, and I'm hopeful that it's going to happen. Uh, ben, one of the things that's really important to me is the, the kids who live in downtown deserve to have a great library and museum. and. That is one of the things that, again, I believe government should spend money on, and I want the kids that are in downtown to have just as good of a library as the kids that are in other parts of our county, and this is one of the ways to achieve it. So whenever we talk about public-private partnerships, that's a great one because, again, it creates this valuable piece of cultural currency, but it also will turn some development over to private industry that can then create revenue that ultimately is taxable and creates new jobs and new places to live. So I see it as a win-win-win. To that point about Project Grace, I think one of the concerns I've heard from fiscal conservatives was that they had no real issue with building the county facilities. Um, the architectural renderings look amazing. Right. I know there are some people who are very fond of that building because it's historic, but I think some of the concern was this idea of not just putting the the unused part of the block up for an open bid and instead trying to control what the real estate market was going to do. I think that was one of the concerns I heard from, from fiscal conservatives was that it is not the government's job to be putting a hand directly on the till of, of private residential or commercial development. And there's probably just as legitimate an argument to say, well, how long should you let a block go fallow before that's hurting the tax roll? Right. So I think that's, you know, from people who are thinking about this, about what government's job is, that's that's the debate that I heard. Well, those are really important data points. And it's exactly what I'm talking about whenever I say that I have an open mind. I, even on something that I've been in favor of, my mind could be changed if a, a sufficient argument is presented to me. But to date, one of the data points that we have to consider is when we did previously put this project out to bid, there, there weren't a whole lot of people that were willing to take it on. There was a lot of risk involved. There was a lot of money to be spent. And ultimately, uh, I don't think that it should surprise anybody that the, the county or government in general should expect to pay some amount of money in connection with a museum and a library. And the idea, of course, on a long enough time frame is that creating some uh, ability for private enterprise to get involved would incentivize them to help offset some of the cost in the long term that would be associated with producing this important public product. So I, uh, I recognize and agree with uh, those folks, uh, really on both sides, that we need to be mindful of that. But I think the process has been transparent. I think that there have been opportunities for folks who wanted to get involved, if they wanted to get involved, to, uh, to do so. But ultimately, because this project is so big and it requires a, a really large scale of of uh, sophistication and ability. There's only so many players that are able to do that. So my, my goal, again, is to see, if possible, this project come to completion. And I think that we've shepherded along in as uh, responsible a way as we can. So another very important kind of development that we've talked a lot about in our newsroom, and that is what from all signs appears to be a coming wave of development in the northern part of New Hanover County. Right. For a long time, um, parcels that are hundreds of acres have just been, you know, timberland. Right. Uh, and some of Wilmington's, um, you know, most prestigious real estate families have held onto that land waiting for various infrastructure improvements to come along, whether that's roads or water or sewer. Now seems to be the time, not just because Wilmington is, has maybe 2% buildable land left, right. but because you know, the stars seems to have aligned, the COVID pandemic notwithstanding. So, there are a lot of visions of how the northern part of the county can look like. You know, we certainly saw during the 2022 election, um, candidate Tom Toby very forcefully speaking for a certain demographic that would like to see quarter acre lots, suburban homes, um, and, and not a lot of dense mixed use development. 
At the same time, there's also a housing crunch where this is a very popular place to live and people would like to move here. And we are simply running out of units. And it may not be possible or as easy to meet that demand with kind of a suburban sprawl. So uh, not that you can single-handedly decide the fate of the northern <laughs> part of the county, but I'm curious how you think about that. A really great question. And my thinking on it is evolving and, again, open to the folks who are in this community and what their thoughts on it are. But my immediate reaction is, as you said, we've got to balance the equities. I am, first of all, let me say, Ben, I'm not going to ever tell you that I have a, a one-size-fits-all approach to the issue of development, to rezoning. I don't. There are different development projects that are appropriate to be rezoned and that I'm going to vote in favor of. And there are other ones that I don't think are appropriate as presented, and I'm not going to vote in favor of them. That's what happened on Monday. And ultimately, I'm going to continue to bring that same case-by-case approach to these issues as they come across the dais and I have the opportunity to vote on them. And I can assure your listeners that what I'm going to do in each and every instance is deeply read the materials that are presented to me, deeply study them, and then listen and respond to the community whenever they reach out. A lot of folks reached out to me prior to Monday's commission meeting, and I tried, and I believe I did, to get back to every single one of them and at least acknowledge, thank you for telling me your perspective on this. It matters to me, and it does. The northern portion of the county is um, sort of a an, uh, the, the last frontier. I believe uh, that's what county staff is now calling it. Yeah. Um, we uh, – I actually didn't know that, but um, I'm glad to know that we're, we're in sync in that regard or that we have the, the same uh, terminology <laughs> at the tip of our tongues. Um, we're already doing some – anticipatory work for uh, that area, again, with the, uh, the the business parks that we talked about. So that's um, that's something that's in process and, broadly speaking, people seem to like and, and be in favor of. Um, we've got to continue to work with CFPUA, in my view, to expand water and sewer services in that part of the county. And then we also need to make sure that um, well, actually, if I can just back up and say part of, part of the value there is the folks that are there, that are on wells, that are on septic. I mean, this is an enhancement. This is an improvement for those folks. And it hasn't been viable up until now. But now that we are in the position that we're in, I mean, we can really make healthier um, uh, and better um, the, the water and uh, connectivity to uh, the broader county for those folks. So I, I think that that's a value-add proposition. Um, we're also going to have to be mindful of things like fire services, and I know that we have uh, two new fire stations that will be online in the coming year, one off of Castlehane Road and one off of Gordon Road. Uh, we've got to make sure that emergency fire protective services are on hand for folks that are in that area because if you're having to drive from far away while we have this stuff going on, that's less than ideal. So we're, we're prepared and we're planning for that stuff all the while. We also uh, have a North Chase library project that uh, is in the works uh, I think that that's estimated to be online in 2025. So we're, we're trying to think strategically about how we get those kind of s- services out to the northern part of the county because I do think that there is some inevitability to development uh, in that part. Now, what it looks like to revisit my prior answer to you, I think remains to be seen. There's going to be a mix. There's going to be some uh, some tall buildings with lots of density, and there's going to be some single-family dwellings. And it's going to depend on what kind of projects people bring to uh, the planning board and then after that to the commission. We're not going to rubber stamp anything. I'm certainly not going to. So we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. But there is no doubt in my mind that we have two competing concerns that are that are equally valid. How do we make sure that we've got infrastructure and sufficient services for folks that are already here, along with folks that may already be here who don't have a place to live affordably? So I'll tell you, Ben, one of the things that's really important to me is trying to, as best as we can, balance those equities, but also recognize that it's nice for folks that already have theirs, but we've got to think about folks who don't have theirs. Not everybody can afford a $250,000, $300,000 house or a million-dollar house. A lot of people rent, and that's okay. But we have to have affordable places for people to rent. Whenever we've got rents that are looking the same as people's mortgages, 
that's a concern to me. So I have to I have to balance those equities, and so do my fellow commissioners. And it's not an easy decision. It's a hard decision. But at the end of the day, it isn't a matter of closing our gates and saying no more people allowed here. Ben, they're already here. We have a lot of tourists here, yes, but we also have a lot of people who have moved here recently. But it's not just the folks who have moved here recently. I'm talking about the people that are on the lower end of the income spectrum. Where do they live? Who's looking out for them? We've got to balance these equities. I keep saying it, but it really has to be done in order for us to be effective in the work that we do and the lives that we lead here in New Hanover. Yeah. You're talking about affordable housing, which over the last couple of years has been a contentious issue. People are passionate about it. I don't think there's anyone in an elected office today who doesn't acknowledge that it's a problem. I think the debate has been more about what is the appropriate scope, magnitude, and style of response. Mm -hmm. And recently, the the county ultimately made the decision not to go with a housing bond, instead going for maybe a bit more measured approach. Again, this is not an issue that you could unilaterally solve, but I'm curious how you think about the approach to that, given that, you know, we are short thousands and thousands and thousands of affordable units. Well, um, I am a person who believes in... uh, broadly speaking, the market and market principles of supply and demand. So in order for prices to come down, I generally would say that there has to be a higher volume of units in order for prices to come down. Now, of course, you can incentivize developers and the federal government, the state government, the county government does make effort to try to incentivize folks to create for uh, lower cost housing. And I think that that's important. We also have to recognize, though, that we're <laughs> this this county that we are, and we're little, second smallest county uh, geographically in the state, um, we, we got a big ocean that's to our east, and we've got some limitations that are associated with that. We have to, I think, work with our regional partners in part to help solve some of these issues. Because of our limited geographic spaces we've already talked about, I think that we really do need to uh, work alongside our our friends, our colleagues in Brunswick in Pender, in Columbus County, in Onslow County, to help to uh, create uh, an environment where that sort of housing development can occur. Because I see Wilmington and New Hanover County as the the capital of this southeastern region of North Carolina. And I can understand why maybe some folks in other parts of uh, the region may beg to differ. But I mean, we we are the biggest uh, in terms of population, in terms of economy, and uh, we have, uh, I think, a, a lot that um, we bring to the broader region. And it would be great if we would have our infrastructure with roads. And that's, I'm sure you know this, Ben. Maybe not everybody knows it. The county government does not build roads. I mean, we. You, you can say that as many times as you want because <laughs> we get emails about that all the time. People asking us, why won't the county fix up my road? I would, I would love. For and I think DOT at the state level is is doing. Um, they have a lot of things underway, but I would love for them to get more aggressive and uh, help us to solve some of the infrastructure issues that we are facing in our region, in our county, and some of what I'm talking about would be ameliorated, would be alleviated by uh, these infrastructure investments coming from Raleigh. And I know that there are some good folks up there that are working on these things, but I would encourage them work harder. <laughs> yeah, we can, We can again, we could do a whole other show about the uh, Cape Fear Bridge debacle. Right. Um, and it's long and sorted history of failed that's, replacements. That's got to be addressed. And this is the sort of project that once you decide what you're going to do, you're still five, 10 years away from it manifesting, from it becoming a reality. So we've got to be strategic in our long range planning. And I think that we are, we're trying, but there are going to be challenges that are going to continue to come from those, uh, those sectors. I do want to drill down just a little bit more just for a minute on the affordable housing thing. Yeah, please. Um, because there has been a lot of discussion about a, a regional partnership, a regional approach. It certainly makes sense. Um, you know, I spent many years in New York City, and it would be insane if New York City had no conversations with Connecticut and New right. Jersey. I, I'm curious if you could provide an example of what that actually might look like. Like, what kind of conversation could, for example, Pender County and New Hanover County have about that would lead to from your point of view, you know, increased uh, stock of housing that might help take the pressure off a little bit. I uh, have had a great opportunity over the last several months, along with my colleague, 
Jonathan Barfield to participate in a program called North Carolina Leadership Foundation. It's through Duke University, and they'll tackle different issues related to health care, whatever's going on in North Carolina. And they bring a bunch of folks together, and they brought us together to talk specifically about the issue of adequate as opposed to affordable. Adequate is the terminology that they use, housing in the Cape Fear region. So we've got business folks, elected officials, nonprofit leaders from Brunswick, from New Hanover, from Pender, from Columbus that have been meeting basically monthly for the past four months, talking about ways for us to collaborate with one another and try to solve these issues. So I would say in the first place, just getting in the room together is what you need to do. Because if you're not talking to one another, you're not likely to find a solution to the problems that you're facing. Uh, we also have something called the Council on Government um, that is a, a collaborative body of different elected officials in the, in the region uh, that meet and talk about the interconnectivity of our counties. And so that's another platform by which uh, local officials try to make sure that we're all on the same page. Here, what are you contemplating? Here's what we're contemplating. Because we can work at cross purposes, not on purpose, but by not talking to one another. So I think we've got to, we've got to do that. We've got to just continue to talk to one another. Um, how we do it more broadly, well, that's a challenge because each county government is going to want to take its own approach to doing uh, the work of development or not doing the work of development, and no one county can force another county to do anything that it doesn't want to do. But if we can present comprehensive plans and ideas for our regional growth and everybody gets on board, well, it's a rising tide situation from my perspective. So that's what I'm committed to is continuing those dialogues and trying to find the wins and then reducing those points of conflict that we don't need and we can avoid if only we talk to one another. Yeah, I mean, I have certainly seen situations where dense urban cores have abutted a neighboring county with radically different ideas right. based on people who live there about what kind of development they want to see. Uh, the conversation, as you pointed out, about affordable housing often is about subsidizing in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and I know people sometimes get skittish when you say subsidized housing, but I'm here talking about LIHTC grants or, right. or gap financing or even just helping connect to a sewer system like um, has been done in the northern part of the to, county. To me, it means all of those things, and I don't think that we can just look at any one solution as the the solution. It's got to be a, a series of different, uh, sometimes maybe even trials and errors. I mean, we're we're imperfect humans, but also the people who populate our government because they are humans are also imperfect. I think we've got to just try our we've got to try our best, and you you attempt to do something, and if it works, you keep doing it, and if it doesn't, you pivot and you do something else. But there's a bit of trial and error that goes into this this work. Yeah. Um, so to your point, I mean, I have I've been here for quite some time, and I have seen, uh, you know, some very tall, <laughs> very thick walls between county government and city government. I think those are coming down. Um, I, I think, think that so. Is, I think that is part of the solution. I think. And I think you're kind of talking about this a little bit. It's like a regional zoning plan, um, nothing official, but kind of uh, a regional policy saying, look, we all are in the middle of a housing crisis. Right. And if one out of four or out of five counties decides, no, we're just going to absolutely put a freeze on development, mm -hmm. you know, nothing over 20 feet, single family houses, nothing smaller than an acre, that's going to impact everyone in the region. Right. Hey, this is an ecosystem. Right. So. I think that's actually exactly what I'm talking about. But I don't know how achievable it is. I'll, I'll tell you, I have my philosophy. I have my ideas. But the reality of government is something that I'm still working out. I, I don't know how it's going to practically play out, but I'm going to work very hard to try to bring everybody to the table on this discussion and this concept because it's important to me, as you perhaps can tell. Another regional conversation that we've been looking at for quite some time is public transportation. Mm -hmm. So you know the history of uh, WAVE the Cape Fear Public Transportation Authority, I don't think it's inappropriate to say it's had its issues. Uh, it's had its issues with funding. It's had its issues with governance. It's had its issues with mandate. You know, what is, what is WAVE supposed to do, and what do we expect of it? And, you know, the, there is uh, now there's a, a quarter-cent transportation tax that is going to help move the ball a little bit, but I think it's still an open question about what we as people in New Hanover County expect from our public transportation. So I'm curious what you expect from WAVE and where you think it can or should go. Well, I think that we, we ought to continue to support and assist WAVE because it's, uh, it's important to have uh, public transportation and it provides 
a needed service. It's hard in any county to have public transportation be everything that it needs to be for every single person. So just like anything, there have got to be compromises. There, there isn't an unlimited number of dollars to be allocated to any particular line item on a budget, and that includes public transportation. But clearly, I believe, and you can take this to the bank, we have to have public transportation. We need folks uh, ultimately to be able to go to the to a bus stop and get on and know that they're going to be able to reliably go where they need to go. But there are alternate forms of uh, opening up uh, our, our county that we need to look to, uh, bike and pedestrian trails, encouraging people to be able to safely uh, travel, traverse uh, by these other means is something that would help to alleviate traffic and encourage people to get healthier. And I know that we have some, uh, some concepts that are in development at the county along North and South College Road and uh, on Middle Sound Loop Road to Market. Uh, we're waiting for DOT approval on some of those, but uh, once we get it, they're going to begin later this year. So we are exploring all kinds of different ways for us to engage um, transportation, and WAVE is, is one part of it, but it's not the only part. That's fair, uh, and there are certainly some people in my newsroom who are incredibly passionate about a yeah. more bicycle-centric right. transportation economy. I have to be candid with you, though. Yeah. I can't see a world in which the average American gives up their car and the utility and the flexibility to go to work when you need to go to work, to leave work when you need to work. The inclement weather, it's either 100 degrees or it's raining. Right. I can't see a world in which, I'm sorry, but a, a pedestrian bike path replaces or, or, or traffic or, or makes a dent in traffic in a way that a functioning public transportation system would? Well, I, I think you're probably right that it won't make a meaningful, uh, substantial difference, but I think it will alleviate it to some degree. And it's also important from my perspective for us to have a diversity of transportation options that are available to folks. I, I know that there are a lot of people in our community that are very conscious, uh, conscious about the, uh, their health and they, they love to travel on bike trails and having that as an option is a, a good thing. Um, to bring it back to your larger point, though, w I, I'm not suggesting in any way that we are doing anything with WAVE other than continue to fund WAVE. We, we need to figure out how to make WAVE as efficient as possible. To ha One of the problems that it's run into repeatedly is just that it needs to exist, right? But there hasn't necessarily been the ridership that people were expecting there to be. Uh, there, and uh, people, the, op the offsetting of cost wasn't occurring in the way that it needed to. So uh, the market, in a way, is speaking as to the public's general approach to this. But I mean, maybe we need to continue to tweak it. This is one of those things, Ben, that I have to tell you, I know a little bit about, I'd like to get a lot more educated on, but I do believe that we've got to have public transportation options. And one of the ways that we can help to uh, minimize traffic impacts is to, to have efficient public transportation for folks. I will tell you, um, we, we see this in the comment section all the time. We get emails and calls about it. Um, many, many years ago, I was uh, I worked in the kitchen industry and mm -hmm. I took a bus. Actually, I actually had to take two buses to get to my job okay. and two buses to get back. And uh, I was often the only person on the bus. Right. You know. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm very sensitive to that feedback loop. You know, if it's not serving people, and you continue to pump money into it, out of you know for show, effectively, uh, you aren't really moving the needle, and you aren't you're not you aren't impacting traffic. One of the one of the questions we've had is that, you know, is a shift to something like microtransit or you know rethinking you know the entire structure of it, some outside the box type things because. I, you know, I hear from plenty of conservatives who have just said, we should just scrap this. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, County Commissioner Woody White w was, you know, just pulling at his hair saying, you know, like, it's not working. And we're just continuing to do it. And um, it's certainly I can see that that point of view. So I, I'm wondering and I, I'm not going to put you on the spot to, you know, no, I answer the, all of it. But I can see the point of view, too. I don't know that we have a replacement model that's presently here. I would be happy for us to transition to another model, a micro-transportation micro model, as you said, or some other inventive approach. I, I don't know that it's here yet. I know that there have been any number of ideas that have been floated, and I'm, I'm game to explore them. Again, Ben, one of the things that I think that we have to do in society and in government is recognize that where we are now is not necessarily where we've been or where we're going. And we've got to, again, I keep talking about having an open mind, but we've got to be willing to try on new things. And the model that we have right now, 
I'd say is working about as well as it can under the circumstances, but it needs tweaks. And I know that we're, we're trying to come up with inventive ways to solve these issues, but we're, we're going we're gonna to keep, keep plugging away at it. And I would encourage the public, hey, uh, all you creative geniuses, reach out. <laughs> Let us know what we can do to solve this issue because it's an important one. I will say I, I have a lot of sympathy for folks in government because I read the emails um, at the county terminal in the wonderful new county building, and it is very easy to criticize. I see very few emails from the public with useful, like immediately actionable solutions. So. Well, that's that's part of the the role of being a government official. You you have to be willing to take the criticisms. Folks are frustrated. There's a lot of hardship that's out there. Uh, people don't have the resources that they'd like to have. They may be sick. They may be unable to travel where they need to go, and they're desperate for solutions. And government is just the easiest and biggest target. So perhaps it's fair. Uh, I can tell you that at least uh, the folks that I work with, they care. They're trying their best. Uh, They don't always get it exactly right. But this is why whenever I'm talking about doing my best work, I, I want that feedback because it keeps me honest. It's also one of the reasons that I think it's important to talk to local media because you're helping to uh, challenge me on some of the things that are coming across the dais and I'm hopefully going to be able to explain some of my decision-making to you. But it also lets your listeners know that I'm, I'm trying to be deliberate and conscientious about the, these important issues that are out there, and I encourage them to reach out to me. I'll, I'll say it now. I'll say it again. My email address is dscalise at nhcgov.com. I mean, send me an email, please. If you think that you can give me some ideas that will be helpful to the performance of my work, or if you just want to yell at me, I, I guess that's okay. I would prefer if you didn't. But, I mean, I also understand that's your right, and I welcome you to reach out to me on whatever you want to reach out to me about. I, I admire that. For years as a journalist, I used to put my phone number at the bottom of uh, the articles that I published. My wife did not love this, mm-hmm. um, but I thought it was important if you're going to be effectively a public figure and weighing in, even by the choice of which stories you focus on, on public matters, you you got to take the flip side of that, which is that That's the public right. can speak back. All right. So you, you've covered a ton of ground, and I really appreciate it. I got one bucket Okay. things left, and that is public safety. Oh, man. There's been a lot of conversation about public safety over the last five, six years. You know, at at some point, there's been some concerns about what the county's role in, say, addressing violence that is in the Wilmington city limits, because Mm -hmm. for listeners who don't know, generally the prerogative of a sheriff's office, even though it covers the entire county, is largely to provide law enforcement support for the unincorporated region. So often people will put the sheriff's office on blast for something that happened in Carolina Beach or in Wilmington. But at the same time, you know, the sheriff of New Hanover County is the sheriff of the entire county. And, right. and the budget, which comes from the county commissioners, is for the whole kit and caboodle. So with sort of all that on the table, what is your approach to, to public safety? Where do you think the issues are? Where do you think successes are happening? Well, perhaps... Unsurprisingly, as a lawyer and past judge, the issues of law and order are fundamental to me and a big part of my approach and interest in terms of my my role as county commissioner. We have um, an obligation in my mind to properly support the women and men of our law enforcement and other uh, county services who like our 911 department who are helping to keep us safe precisely because it is tough sometimes thankless work they're put at risk they're uh, working long hours um, people get angry at them and then sometimes things like today there was a, a gun found at a high school and thankfully we have well-trained folks in our Uh, police and sheriff's department that identify issues like that, secured the gun, put the school safely on lockdown so that they could see what was going on, and uh, kept everybody safe. So I'm I'm really proud of all those folks for for doing the right thing. I'd rather that not happen. I'd rather that not happen. So getting to the core issues of why that's happening is the challenge. There is unfortunately a, uh, uh, a drug market that exists in our county. It's a, a rather substantial one. There is, unfortunately, whenever you are engaging in the illicit trade of drugs, uh, weapons and violence that is associated, that are associated with 
uh, that illicit drug trade. And we have got to figure out how to help people that are in the throes of drug addiction to no longer be in the throes of drug addiction. And I think that that would alleviate, I keep using that word, but I think that it would help to resolve some of the issues of violence and um, illegal weapons because they're usually adjacent to that market. So there are um, resources that we're providing to the county sheriff department. And you mentioned before about the city and the county working together. I think we've, our police department, our sheriffs, we've got to find out whatever way appropriate and possible for us to congeal and work together so that the, the public's safety is preserved. The safety of our children is of paramount importance to me. And our schools have got to be safe places. So however we get there, uh, I, I really um, am open to whatever suggestions folks have, but we've got to make sure that those are safe places. And again, uh, women and men of law enforcement are the, the people on the front lines helping to achieve that. There are um, any number of initiatives that the county has uh, attempted to uh, roll out, and um, we have a community building plan as part of our uh, community investment strategy that uh, is helping to cover things like education, uh, food needs, and safety. Uh, all of these things may be the cause of why someone um, may find themselves either in drug addiction or um, homeless or um, otherwise uh, not able to be the, the productive member of society that they would like to be. So we're trying to find solutions to that. We have uh, an endowment that uh, I, I would love to see uh, continue to invest, maybe invest in a larger degree into our community and some of these initiatives. And I know there's all kinds of ideas that are getting floated out there. And <laughs> I think that that's, that's what the endowment was set up to do, was to help uh, try to address some of these issues. Um, there are uh, new concepts like Port City United that um, I have to tell you, I, I only recently have gotten familiarized with. They gave a presentation to us at my very first council meeting, um, my fir very first com commission meeting. Um, that was on the 17th of April, I believe. And uh, they gave a, an overview of some of the approaches that they're bringing to um, uh addressing violence, uh, trying to help be a resource at the uh, schools that we have in our community. Um, uh, I know that they had a, a couple of different programs. Uh, Bright Lights, Peaceful Nights was one intended to address broken street lights or the need to install a light in a poorly lit area for safety reasons. Um, some holiday events trying to engage the community. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to learn more about this uh, organization that we um, have created and am hopeful that this is one of those concepts that I said, let's try on new things, see how they work. And if they work, we keep using them. And, you know, if not, we reevaluate them. Um, it's a new program. And I think there are still some um, evaluation that needs to be performed, but it, it looks at first blush that they're doing some important and good work, and I'm, I'm encouraged. All right. You've been very, very generous with your time, and I thank you. Do you have time for a lightning round? Uh, sure. Okay. So first question, thinking about the county, what keeps you up at night? Um, coming to WHQR to interview with Ben Shotman, just, just teasing. Um, I, uh, let me just say, first and foremost, that you've been very gracious. I appreciate you inviting me on and giving me the opportunity and the platform to speak about this new role that I have very surprisingly found myself in. What keeps me up at night is uh, the men and women and children who make up our community and the lives that they lead. We have uh, 240,000 people that live in our county approximately. And everybody's got their own approach to life, and they're facing difficulties. They're elated by some exciting thing that happened to them. Their kids are sick. They lost their job. They got a new job. I want this county to be a place where everyone has opportunity. I want there to be a fair shake and a fair chance for everybody, all of those people that I just said. And how can I help effectuate that? I don't know quite yet, Ben. I know that I'm going to be fair and equitable in my approach to each and every matter that comes across the dais in my votes and in my consideration. But 
that's what I think about because as a person, I think a person that I would consider myself to be of a high degree of empathy, um, I imagine myself in my life and then I think about where someone else is and I want them to have have opportunities that I've had and how can I help to effectuate that? that that's what keeps me up at night. You mentioned, you know, this has been a surprise for you. Yes. So maybe everything about this has been a surprise. But I was going to ask, you know, what has surprised you most about your new role as a county commissioner since you since you swore in? The thing that has surprised me most about the work is actually this is going to sound a little bit weird maybe, but nothing in my life has changed. I I feel like the exact same person that I was prior to becoming a county commissioner. Now, that's not to say that I'm not taking this seriously, but I have been community-oriented and obsessed with working on behalf of the community since I first moved here in 2012. I love this community, and this is where I'm going to spend absolutely the rest of my life. And the opportunity, as surprising as it was, to be impactful in a new way really was just an extension of what I felt like I was already trying to do as a member of this community. So uh, I don't feel any different. I, I don't wake up and say to myself, oh, Dane, you're, you're county commissioner. I'm just a public servant. I have a title. It's one that I didn't expect to have. But it is something that ultimately gives me the opportunity to continue the work of public service that's deeply important to me. To that end, last question. There's an election in 2024. We'll have you back as a candidate then. But right. it, but until then, you are a county commissioner. And if there was one thing, one deal you could seal, one project you could get approved, one issue you could move the needle on, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> well, I guess what I would, I mean, this is going to sound also ridiculous, but I would love for us all to just get along, Ben. Uh, if I can show folks that despite our differences that may exist, we all have the same general desire to live a good, healthy life and that we're all on the same team. If my role as county commissioner can help demonstrate to folks that uh, being um, a, a, a pure partisan is not interesting to me, it's not something that I want to do. It's something that is a necessary function of government. You, you have to be aligned with a, a political party. And I'm a proud Republican. I'm a proud conservative. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But those are just aspects of my life. I am a whole person in addition to those things. And I would like for us all to look at one another as whole people, uh, independent or in addition to the various things that we define ourselves with. So this is a, a bit of a ethereal philosophical concept. I know you're probably asking me to give you a, a development project or a school, but I, I would rather say I, I want us to, to be sweeter to each other. Uh, we've got to be sweet, and that's something that I'm going to try to demonstrate in the work that I do on the commission. Dane Scalise, sir, thank you so much for your time. Ben Chapman, thank you for your time. All right. Well, that's it for this special episode of The Newsroom. If you have thoughts, comments, or ideas for a future show, you can reach us at newsroom at whqr.org. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom. <laughs>